you know, when I get, when the service starts, I look out and I think, oh, it's going to be empty today. <laughs> and then I get up to preach and suddenly you guys show up. So obviously you're, you're here. The service does start at 10 a.m., just so everyone knows. You know, you feel free to come on time. You're welcome. If you're really special, you come at 9.30, we have a little prayer and huddle, and there's goodies. So if you get here and there's no goodies left, it's because you missed it. So if you come a little earlier, you can be part of the huddle with us anyway. Uh, so good to hear. Uh, who's put plants in the ground this weekend? Hands up. Let's see. Anyone, anyone planting plants? Okay. A few? Okay. All right. It's, it's gardening season. Um, we have the itch in our home to go fishing. We haven't quite got there yet, but that's sort of part of our, our talk and our dreams. And so I hope you have some of those summer dreams too. The king is coming. It's a fundamental reality for believers in Jesus Christ. He is ascended into heaven and we're like, well, what next? He's coming back. The early church lived with this expectation that at any moment Jesus could, the trumpet would sound and boom, he'd come smashing through the roof or they'd go smashing through the roof or whatever would happen. I mean, they really believed this to be true. And even before he went through the cross and the resurrection, he preached his final sermon as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew writes this down in the first century for us today to still benefit from. He says, yeah, here's the final message of Jesus. And the whole theme of the message is the king is coming. He's answering two questions. In Matthew 24, he says at the beginning, it's not in the slide, but he says, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he, so he talks about the signs. He talks about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And then, in chapter 25, he begins to, he's already told a few, now he tells these elongated stories, which we call parables, where he uses to, to describe what it's going to be like when the king comes. And in Matthew 25, verse 1, it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and last week we looked at these, the story of these 10 bridesmaids or virgins that are waiting for the king. And, and the whole theme of verses 1 to 13 of chapter 25 is, be ready, be prepared. And what was going to happen in Matthew 25 is there's these three stories, and they layer on top of each other, and they get more harsh as you go along. These are Jesus' words, not mine. I'm just, and I'm preaching them just to be faithful to what he is telling us, and that this is important. It's important that you're prepared. But in verse 14, now he's going to get a little further. Well, what does it mean to be prepared? What, what does the prepared person do? And that is where we find ourselves in verse 14. Does it really matter what I do now is the question, of course. So he says, it's, for it's like a man going on a journey who summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. It's going away. The implied idea is he's coming back. So it's like, okay, would you look after my stuff for me? Like many of you do when you travel, right? You have someone look after your stuff. You find, the, you know, a nice faithful person that could come and, you know, feed your chickens and look after your dog and water your plants. But this is more than that. He's saying, here is my debit card. Here's the pin. Here is the, the sign-in for my TD Waterhouse you know, account for all my stocks. You look after that for me, would you mind? Oh, by the way, I've got all these bonds and stuff here in my safety deposit box. Here's the key and the code to get in there. Look after it for me. It is a huge opportunity, an incredible gift, but wow, what responsibility. It says in verse 15, 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now we see that word talent, and we think, oh, these are abilities, these are skills, these are, you know, this is the, you know, this guy could do woodwork, and, you know, she, you know, she could, you know, cook, or, you know, he could cook, and she could do woodwork, or, or whatever, you know, and, but, but the word talent actually is a, is a huge sum of money in the first century. Hughes would say in his book, uh, the one talent would be the equivalent of $700,000 today. And that's an American book, so that's like a million and a half, right? There you go. You know, so, um, can you, so, so just imagine, this is not a thousand bucks. This is not a couple roll of a hundreds. For, like, this is a huge amount of money, each according to his ability. Each slave was sort of guessed, well, you know, this guy can handle a lot. This guy can handle a little less. This guy can handle one. We'll, we'll make sure that each one has according to their ability. Implied in this parable is that you and I are like this slaves, and each of us has a certain capacity, and God gives us in our life what we have according to our capacity. And then he goes away. And you're wondering, well, what's going to happen? Here's the pin, here's my debit card, here's my accounts, you know, here, here's all the access codes, look after it for Does it really matter what I do now? The story continues in, uh, sorry, in verse uh, 16 there. It says, the one who had received five talents went off right away, and literally that word is immediately, and put his money to work and gained five more. So you can just imagine, he's got three and a half million, now he's got seven million. I mean, he's just trading, you know, I'll buy this stock, sell that stock, I'll, I'll invest in this business. Well, you know, he's just doing work. He's, he's like, okay, my master has given this to me, I want to look after it, so, you know, because I'm anticipating his return. In verse 17, in the same way, the one who had two gained two more. Just like five and then we get to verse 18 and we have a contrast you know the contrast because of the word but shows up at the beginning of the of the, of the sentence so you know and this is a jewish thing oftentimes it would come in groups of three the first two are the same the third is the contrast and that's to draw your attention to the third it is a literary device okay here we go oh this is a change in, in the pattern but the one who had one who received one talent went out dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it not a strange thing to do, right? Like putting your money in a sock or whatever it is and dumping it, you know, throwing. But, and you wonder, like, what, like, what's going on here? It's such an odd thing. The other two guys, you know, are, are accessing the codes and they're opening the accounts. They're starting this. They're doing that. Five plus five, two plus two, one hole in the ground. He is doing nothing with what he's been given. He's just sitting on it. The author doesn't give us any like, he just sort of leaves it. And we'll, we'll find out the evaluation in a moment. But you wonder, why? He does say certain things, but is it that he doesn't actually believe the master's coming back? And if the master doesn't come back, and no one knows about that talent, then that talent becomes his, right? Because he hid it. No one else knows where it is. 
That maybe if, if the time elapses so far that no one even knows, I'll just sneak back there and dig it out and I'm, it's all, it's mine. I mean, is it, is, could it be that this is an incredibly selfish moment in his life? I'm going to take what's been entrusted to me and hoard it for my own future. Does that sound familiar? In verse 19, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled his accounts with them. Accountability. Don't we love that word? Accountability, right? Have you, have you ever had a job, you know, uh, you know, where they sit down and do a performance review? Or one of those stupid things they call 360s where you can, everyone gets to kick at each other, you know? I mean, you know, and, and you know, here, here it is. It, it's, it's the accounting. What did you do with what I gave you? Now, he, he was clearly coming back. But one of them probably thought he wasn't coming back. And he did, did something different than the other two. And here it is, the moment of the settling of the accounts. It says in Romans 14, verse 12, that each of us, therefore each of us, will give an account of himself to God. We, we have a day when this is going to happen for us, just so you understand. So this story is told, the master is returning, he comes back, and okay, now it's time to... To, to, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you use it? How did you promote my interests in my absence? And it says there in verse 20, the one who had received five talents came and brought five more, saying, Sir, or Master, or Lord, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. He acknowledges where the gift came from. It was, it's, your, it's your gift to me. Uh, you, know, you entrusted it to me, and I've, I've, I've maximized it, and I've doubled the investment. Here you go. In his heart is a desire to please the master, to do what's right, to, to bring pleasure and glory and advancement of the master's interests. And, and there he is. You gave it to me. I've gained five more. And the master answers in verse 21. His master answered, Well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's like he opens the door open. And it's like, come in and experience the joy. So, so all the stuff the master has, has been given to the slaves. They're working for the master's purposes. But at the end, as he, as he does the accounting, he says, now you get to enjoy what I have. Come in and, and share with me. Party with me. Enjoy what I have because you have expanded what I've given to you. Enter into the joy of the master. I mean, I can just imagine it's like, it's like walking into some amusement park or something, or you know, some lavish house or some penthouse suite with you know, all this food laid out. Enter into the joy of the master. In verse 22, it continues, the one with two talents also came and say, said, sir, you've entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. His master answered, well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You see that the repetition there, same thing happens. He doesn't say, well, that guy gained five and you only gained two. Like, what, what, what's your problem? He, according to their ability, they're held accountable and, and they're both welcomed into the joy of the master. And then in verse 24. Then, 
the one who had received the one talent came and said, Sir, now, presumably he's watched this whole event. The five guy comes and gives five, and he gets, whoa, you know, welcomed in. You know, the, the two guy comes, and he, you know, he brings his extra two, and whoa. And, the, and so, so he sees what's coming, and now he's like, so he's prepared this speech. Sir, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. Verse 25, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Let's go back to the last verse. So verse 24 there, you can just see. Sorry, uh, there we go. You're a hard man. Now, as you see that, now you've just seen the verses before this, right? He's like, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, the picture is of this gracious, wonderful master lord, you know, of the house that, that's welcoming faithful servants into the experience. And it's like, yeah, you don't have to sit, you don't have to eat in the slave's table. You can some sit at my table. Enter the joy of the master. And, and then here he's like, well, you're a hard man. You're a ruthless businessman. It's like that, that old reality TV show, The Apprentice, you know, where all these people are trying to make money, and, and the boss on The Apprentice, I'm not going to mention his name, but, you know, he's really harsh. And he's like, oh, you're fired, you're fired, you know, and, you know, it's, it's just ruthless, and it's cutthroat, right? And he's like, you're, you're this cutthroat businessman, and, and boy, I'm just, I was worried for my neck, so I took that thing, and I, I just hit it in the ground, because I was afraid. He's making excuses for his lack of doing anything. He's trying to dig deep and make up something here. But he clearly doesn't understand the master. I have this quote here. Uh, Most failure in the Christian life has at its root a false understanding of the character and purpose of God. We don't understand God. We do the wrong thing. Or we don't do the right thing. Charles Price. So I was afraid, he says in verse 25. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. You can just imagine he's wiping the dirt off that chunk of silver. Uh, probably 50 to 80 pounds, you know, this big chunk of silver, or multiple bars, whatever it was. You know, he's, you know, here you go. Here it is. All right, it's back to your hands. It's, it's yours, it's not mine, you know, anymore. It's like a, some kind of cursed object or something. You know, you're, you're a mean businessman, so you take it back. I don't, wanna, I don't want your, your filthy lucre anymore. He totally missed his opportunity. Wasted it. Wasted his opportunity. He forfeited the the opportunity to enter into the joy of the master because he failed to use what had been given to him and advance it for the master's interest. He didn't understand the master. He's a mean, ruthless businessman, but actually he's this wonderful boss who's like, welcome, good and faithful servant. He honors those who do the right thing and he he, he brings them into, into experience his joy in his house. This guy just doesn't get it. You've probably had conversations with people that don't understand God, right? They, they, they think of God as some mean, you know, misogynist, you know, narrow-minded, bigoted, you know, you know, deity that just wants to pounce on people, and they don't get God, and so they just write them off because they have a, a misconception of God. But then you read the Bible, and you look at Jesus Christ, and you see it's something totally different. It's not the God that they've created in their head. It's, it's a different God. 
this wonderful God that says, I'm giving you a gift, and if you use it, yes, you will experience great blessing. But if you waste it, we'll find out what happens to you. In verse 26. But the master answered, evil and lazy slave. So you knew that I harvest where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter. You knew that. Verse 27, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and on my return I would have received my money back with interest. Evil and lazy slave. I actually have a quote here. I skipped it. Sorry, I'm messing up with you guys there. But uh, from uh, Ogilvy, he says, the institutional church is often the sacred burial ground of entrusted talents. We come and we just mark the grave spot where we've dug that hole, but we're not doing anything with it. Evil and worthless slave. I, I grew up in a home where the worst sin was to be lazy. And, and it was at times maybe a little over the top because, you know, my, my father would be critical of those that didn't work. And, and sometimes there's reasons why people can't work. But, but you know, we had a neighbor and he, uh, he lived with his mom. He was, you know, in his probably 40s and she often would be mowing the grass and my dad was like, look at that guy. And, and he actually, he, he, had, he created this word in Ukrainian called bambula. So we would actually call this guy bambula. I didn't even know his name until I was like 13. Like that guy's name was, because he just didn't work, right? And he was lazy and, and you know, he, you know his, he let his mom do work. And my dad, my dad just, you know, had no, he just couldn't handle that guy. He's like, he's wasting the prime of his life. And, and here the master says, you know, you just wasted all that time. Evil and lazy slave. You could have at least put it in the bank and got your two, five, seven percent, depending what era, decade you live in. But you, you could have at least got a little interest on it, but you didn't even do that. The next quote I have is from Hughes there. Uh, Wasted life is one of the greatest evils. The truth is, though, that it's never too late to start. Some of you listening, some of you online watching this have, have wasted time. You haven't really done much spiritually with your life for the Lord. You've done your own things. You have had your own plan. But, but now maybe God is like, yeah, it's time for you to switch gears. Quit making excuses. And use what I've given you to advance my kingdom. My father became a Christian in his 40s. His only regret in life was that he didn't come to know the Lord sooner. But from his 40s, he made up for that lost time. He even quit a, a secure job to go work at a camp because he's like, I want to make my life count until, until I die, and he did. Looked after widows, looked after orphans. <laughs> Anytime there was anything going on at the church or at the camp, he was there. Work day, he was there. He was there. He was there. I can remember as a kid getting dragged along with dad with a hammer. We're pulling this apart. We're building this. We're doing that and helping this widow, helping that widow. I mean, anytime, it just, it's never too late to start. Maybe some of you today are going are gonna to start. You're going to say, yeah, you know what? I, I, do, I have all my stuff. But the master has given me this stuff, this house, this food, this car, this, you know, my time. My, you know, and, and, and you can invest it and use it for God's glory. We'll get back to the text here. Verse 28. 
the master gets a little interesting. He says, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For the one who has will be given more, and he, and he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. It's like, really? So understand, as we go through Matthew 25, the stories get even more serious at the end. It's like, like last story was, go away, I don't even know you. Now he's like, take it from him and give it to the one who has more. And, and, and then it gets, it gets really like scary at the end here. Because <clears throat> in verse 30, <clears throat> he's like, throw that servant, worthless slave, into the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so we can just back up a little bit. The challenge is, we are often afraid to do something, right? I can't do that. We're afraid to take risks. Well, what would happen? Like, every year there's an opportunity for you, someone out there, to say in September when we have two services, and the reason we have two services is so those that serve downstairs can actually attend a service. I know you guys, oh, I love one service, because you don't ever go downstairs. That's why you love it. I'm serious. But those that serve downstairs, and they can come up and still have worship on Sunday morning, right? But wouldn't it be crazy if someone actually would say, you know what, I'm going to serve every Sunday at 9 a.m. I'm going to actually get to know a classroom. Those kids, I'm going to know their names. I'm going to know their likes and dislikes. I'm going to invest spiritually for a whole year. And yes, of course, I'm going to take a couple Sundays off every quarter because that's normal. But I'm going to be their regular teacher every week. People used to do that when I was a kid. I can only do once every three months, you know. And you wonder when the master comes, what he says to you. I had to go hunting, I had to go fishing, I got this, uh, hockey, this, you know, I got this family thing, that. Does he care? I'm just telling you, he's coming back. And he's holding us accountable for everything we've been given. And the end is like this horrible, like, whoa, what's going on? You know, like, like, okay, like, it's like he wasn't, he didn't have a relationship with the master. He's like, well, he doesn't have a relationship. He's not entering into the joy of the master, so kick him outside. And these, these terms describe a person who's not in relationship with God, who's on the outside. It's a term of, of judgment. It's horrible. And this is a warning for us. Like, don't you, you don't want to be on the outside. At the end of the tribulation period, there'll be some in, that go through the tribulation period that are religious, that don't have a relationship. And they'll get there and they'll be like, boom. But even us today. The rapture could happen, and some of you could be still here. And you're wondering, what happened? Well, you went through religious rituals, but you didn't know Jesus. I got a picture here of um, <laughs> Nick Vucicic. <laughs> you notice, he doesn't have any arms or legs. So let me just read if there ever was a person who you would think had a reason to sit on the sidelines of life, it's Nick Vujicic. Nick was born in 1982 in Melbourne, Australia, with no arms or legs. His condition is called phacolomelia, and there is no known medical, genetic, or environmental reason for it. He has credited his faith in God for the power to overcome the initial question of why he was born the way he was, as well as the loneliness and depression that initially marked his life. Instead of focusing on what he lacks, Nick has made the most of what he's been given, a sharp mind, a winsome personality, and the ability to be a compelling speaker. 
The doors have opened for Nick to share the news of Jesus everywhere, from Oprah Winfrey's talk show to the Kremlin. At a recent event, Nick said, God the Father is calling the followers of Jesus to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I know that might sound weird coming from a man who has no hands or feet, (laughs) but if God can use me to be his hands and feet to help others, then he can use any willing soul. Nick is clearly a man who takes seriously Jesus' story about making the most of what each of us has been given. Isn't that crazy? He swims, he surfs, he's married with four kids. I mean, nothing is stopping him. So he's coming back, the king. And there's several truths I just want to, lessons that I want to bring out here. Uh, The first one is that um, your life is a gift from God to be used for his glory. What you've been given is a gift. Every part of your life is a gift. Your marriage, your kids, your job, your assets, your time, your talents, your abilities, your acumen for learning and whatever. It's all a gift from God to be used for his glory. It's not self-serving. It's a gift from the creator that brings praise back to the creator when you use it for his glory. Okay, number two, a proper understanding of God's character and purpose is critical to living an effective and successful Christian life. If you don't understand God, you're going to get this wrong. But when you, the more you understand God, the more successful and effective you are in your Christian walk. That's why you read your Bible. And that's why you, you obey what it teaches you. So you want to you learn about God. You want to see what his purpose and plan is. And you want to fulfill it in your life. It, it's key to having an effective and successful Christian life. Number three, when you have Jesus, you have the greatest treasure imaginable. And you're responsible for what you do with that treasure. Okay? Because some of you are like, I don't have $700,000. I don't have three and a half million that someone just drops in my lap to do something with. When you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have something more valuable than that. More valuable than all the assets of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or you name it, any one of these basketball or soccer players. I mean, you are richer than them according to the scriptures because what you have is this invaluable possession, the salvation, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you're responsible for what you do with that treasure. So if you have the gospel, but you're not sharing it, you're essentially that servant that's digging the hole and shoving it in there. And you know how that works out. You're responsible for what you do with that treasure. And so God puts you where you are with the people around you for a purpose. Because you have a treasure to share with someone. I know they want money, they want fame, they want popularity, they want all this stuff, but what they really need is what only Jesus can provide. What are you doing with that treasure? Number four, God holds everyone accountable and wants to share his joy and kingdom with everyone. Like, there is this accounting day, there's this day, the judgment day, there is this in, in the scriptures, it talks about the Bema seat, this judgment seat, where we're come and our, our, our life is spread before us and it's tested by fire. And, and I was going to go there, but if that's a sermon on its own, we'll get there someday. But yes, you will be held accountable for what you did with your life. Consider this your warning. But what the master wants to do is to open the door wide for you and say, come on in. 
his preferred destination and experience for you is that you would understand and appreciate and discover the joy of the master. Come on in. Join the party. But the way in is through service, faithful service in anticipation of his coming. And five, this is kind of like the, ooh, that's a nice way to end the sermon. Those who waste their lives will only end up with nothing in the end. I mean, that's your option. You'd be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to hold on to what I got and let God kind of work it out. And, and, and in the end, you end up with nothing. In the scriptures, it says if you're a believer, yes, you get through, but it's just singed and ashes and you kind of get into heaven and you're just, you're, you're, you're in the slums, you're on the outskirts because you didn't do anything with what God gave you. Yes, some people will have a, a more qualitative experience in heaven than others, Yes. The faithful one was entrusted with more, you know, and, and, but the one who wasn't faithful was cast out. And, and the reality is, is, is like, like, what are you living for? Jesus invites you to live for his kingdom. Our culture will push you away from that every time. They will continually squeeze you to say, no, you don't have time for that. No, you, you, you're not smart enough. No, you're not trained for that. No, no, that's too much time. No, you'll lose your freedom. But the reality is, whatever perceived freedom that you have, you actually lose it in the end when, when, when you cling to it. But when you let it go, you discover the master swinging open the big ivory doors and saying, come on in. The joy of the master. So as your pastor, I'm like, I want you to experience the best that God can provide for you as you move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. And that comes from this faithful service for him. Some of you get it. Some of you need to take some steps. And if I didn't love you, I would just leave you where you are. But I love you enough to say, yeah, you know what? I want you to see the doors swing open and come on in. But it will require that you make some changes in your life and sacrifice some time. Maybe reallocate some resources. Be prepared to invest and have people in your life that normally aren't in your life. And that that does take something out of you, but God honors that. He's coming back. Whatever he's given to you, he's going to ask for an accounting. The first world church is going to be in a real shock when Jesus returns. Because I've been in the third world, and I've been in the second world, I've been in poor countries, and I've received generosity from poor people. And just been shocked because I'm like, I've been in rich countries where people aren't this generous. It's going to be a complete reversal. So be prepared. Be generous. Believe he's coming back and live like he could return tomorrow. Advance his purposes and his kingdom. Team, would you come up? We're going to lead us in a closing song here. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, uh, this doesn't make any sense, obviously. You're like, well, what's going on here? But Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, he's coming back. And we believe in Jesus for eternal life. Now he's inviting us to experience him in a relationship every day. So if you don't know Jesus, I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus. But those of you that know Jesus, I'm inviting you to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And to, to, to orient your life with that as the primary focus. Because I think that's what this text is about. He's coming back, 
and he will hold you accountable for what he's given you. So serve faithfully, and you will enter into the joy of the master. Would you pray with me as we close, and the team will lead us in the song. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to follow you, to believe in you, to be part of your family. And whatever you've given to us, Lord, we just pray you would help us to use it for your purposes and your glory. We've received the gospel and and we want to share that treasure with others that don't have it. Open our eyes, expand our hearts that we might take steps of faith this week and take steps of service this coming year, that we might be found faithful at your return. We pray this in Jesus' name.